0: Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps. Most notably, the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for All Access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities. Everything you need to master your craft. So download the app, and this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.
1: Welcome to Shane's Inner Circle Podcast
0: with your hosts, Shane and Lydia.
1: Hello, Inner Circle members, and welcome to episode 40, our November podcast. Shane and I are back together in Los Angeles and so excited to have you with us. And we are about to dive into a potpourri of questions. But before we do, I just wanted to say how grateful we are. It's November. It's the time of year where you just think about gratitude and the wonderful things in your life. And honestly, we are so grateful for this community, for all of you, for all that you share supporting us in rolling out our networking groups in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, and Dallas-Fort Worth. So please look for those. It is the Shane's Inner Circle Meetups. We're super fired up about them. And as soon as we have dates, we will put it up on the Facebook group for everybody.
0: I am super excited to share with you all the answers to these questions today. It's, uh, it's uh, We have, a, like Lydia said, a very eclectic list of questions to go through from all of our members. And I also wanted to just kind of talk about the meetups as well, this networking is huge. Uh, this is how the ASC started. The ASC started with these small groups in all these regionals and areas: New York, LA, Chicago, Miami, and cinematographers getting together, sharing their thoughts, sharing their challenges, and uh, and building uh, the art form of cinematography. So we are on a wonderful quest to be able to do this as well.
1: And Shane, I just want to say that it's not just for cinematographers, because I think so many times we focus on cinematographers. But please know that if you're a director, you're an editor, you are a one-man band shooter. You're an indie filmmaker. You are a woman who needs to join us. And, you know, whatever part of the industry that you're in is my point. Your producer, these groups will really benefit you because the purpose of them is bringing the entire filmmaking team together. And we may focus on cinematography education initially, but we also want to have panels with editors and you know, production designers and everything, agents and, you know, every part of the business to be represented. So I just wanted to say that.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's what's going to make our group and our community so much better and so much more unique is because of bringing in all different resources and, and creatives from the movie business into the discussion. So it's not just cinematographers, it's directors, production designers, producers, all these technicians, uh, all these uh, individuals that can kind of come together and, and discuss and really share their knowledge, their creativity and build this Incredible, powerful resource. And just to give you a heads up, we are going into a major content creation this end of this year and it is going to be very in-depth and it's going to be taking in the director and production designer perspectives as well as the grip and electric and cameras perspective, not only from a technological standpoint, but the whole creation process of starting with the script, going through pre-production, breaking it down, talking to your individuals, pre-rigging and pre-cabling. And it's gonna not only be on on a indie or Hollywood scale, it's going to be brought down to a small DIY working with what you have kind of scale as well. So you're going to see it in two different perspectives.
1: And I feel like we leave out the editors a lot. And so if you're a shooter editor, if you're a predator, I guess it's called the producer shooter editor. um, This is great content for you because Shane works very intimately with the editor on every single movie that he does. And I think we kind of overlook this piece a lot. So I really want to shine a light on it, the editor is so important and such a part of what we do for our content. Um, we are working with our editor Dylan constantly, and I think that we just don't talk about the process that we do, but the editor, especially if they can be there during the shooting, is it's such an incredible learning for them. And it makes it so much easier during the editorial because they they understand and they know when they've got it because they're seeing it. So I think Dylan's going to be intimately involved with us. Um, again, and we're really excited about that. So I just kind of wanted to shine a spotlight really briefly on the editor. I appreciate you. I know how hard it is to edit. I can't. And, you know, I, I know it's like a lot of alone time in a dark room. So editors out there, we really love you. It's a less flashy job, but what you do is so important in the whole. Okay, moving on to question number one. We had to take care of a lot of business there. Sorry about that. (laughs) Now we're getting down to brass tacks here. Question number one comes from Jacques in Montreal. Hi, Shane and Lydia. I hope you two are doing great. I had to wish you a good greeting. So here's my question, and I don't know that this has been answered before in the specific way, but here it goes. After having your first reel made, setting your website your and your company, and I have been out there on jobs both as a Key Grip, Best Boy Electric, with two production houses here in Montreal for a little while now, I feel like I want to try moving up to becoming a DOP right. So my question is, how do you present yourself to these production houses That I might have never worked with before. Do you have a special recipe for that? I'd love to hear what you did as a young cinematographer and what you would do now. I know you have an agent that helps you with stuff, but I don't have one yet. So how would you go at it without an agent? I guess that's my question. Thank you, Shane, for sharing these precious golden nuggets. It's really appreciated. And Lydia... Being more on the business side of things, how would you approach a production house you would like to make business with and create an awesome collaboration with? Thanks, and I wish you both an awesome day. Jacques from Montreal.
0: All right, Jacques. So... um Starting out, I was a uh, key grip and then I was a gaffer and then I ended up being a director of photography. So that process, uh, when I made the break to shooting, what I had done was I had worked on a lot of music videos where I was kind of the director of photography or let's say the lighting director on these things. Uh, And I asked uh, the director cameraman who was the, uh, you know, the director cameraman of these commercials and, and music videos, if I could, you know, list these as credits for me as a director of photography. And he goes, Shane, you did most of the lighting and, and operated the camera. Absolutely. I was just a B camera. So I was able to take a lot of that high brow uh, music videos and I was able to use those and put together like a compilation reel, like a montage reel. And this is what I used to start going shopping around for getting jobs. I would go to production companies and submit my reel and try to get in an interview, do as much research as I, ca- as I could about the production company so I knew what they produced, uh, what was their niche uh, and this is a very important thing is was when you go out, because there's a lot of not not a lot of production companies, especially in like the Montreal area that are going to have a broad spectrum. There's going to be. Companies that that have a niche, something that they do incredibly well, and all the agencies and everything constantly come back to them. So that's what you want to find. Now they're going to obviously have a spectrum of stuff that they do, but they're gonna. There's always some kind of focus, with the, whether the directors that are on staff that they have, or the directors that they have on their roster. There's going to be some kind of whether they're comedy based, whether they're car based, whether they're you know, drama-based. There's going to be some kind of niche, and that's what you want to find, and that's what you want to research. So when you go in there, you can really be incredibly intelligent, and you're speaking their language.
1: Okay, I have to dive in here because what I would like to say is that the niche that Shane's talking about has to jive with your skill set. And I think that this is very important because you can't try to morph yourself into something That you're not naturally talented at. And here's why. Because when you go into these production houses, the the directors there already have the people that they use. They have their go-to people. And so you have to make yourself exciting to them. And I think the best way to approach it is if, you know, if their main guy is not available, would they consider working with you? And, and when you do this, um, it's very, very important to, you know, really go in with, with as much firepower as you possibly can, because essentially when you go into this production house, you're wanting to meet with a director who is busy, who is probably, you know, prepping a job or just finished a job, and so you want to make a meeting with them and have your reel understand, you know, how your skill set could benefit them. And I think it's very important when you're going in there to make yourself as an addition to what's our, what, uh, what they already have going, because people have loyalty, as they should, to their people that they use. And the way that Shane started out a lot of times was if somebody was not available, then they called Shane as as like their second or their third call in the beginning. And I think that's a really g- great way to approach it. So you're not taking, you're not trying to take anything away from their existing pool. You're an addition when they get stuck.
0: Yes. And a lot of the director of photographies that I was gaffer for were very commercially prolific. They had a, a ton of clients. And a lot of these clients had spec spots and lower budget uh, jobs where they knew they couldn't call my my DP client. So this is how I slid in, not only with the music videos that I was able to beef up my you know, montage demo reel on, but I was also able to really tap the, the clients, um, the directors and the producers that I had worked with as a gap. And just say, hey, I started shooting and any projects, any spec spots you have, any lower budget commercials, any lower budget music videos, anything you have where you know you can't call your A guy, I want to be your B guy. And and I'll do it for no money. I'll do it for, you know, for the, the something for my reel. You know, you just really put yourself out there. I have to say, spec spot wise, when I was first starting out building my commercial reel, I probably did 15 spec spots that were all for free and i went to my crew and asked them specifically you know will you help me out build this relationship with this director and this production company and they were all on board and it was it was very inspiring because my crew helped build me together and it was just a a a wonderful experience
1: okay great so i think we have a good answer on that question and we're going to move on to question number two. Hi, Shane and Lydia. Thank you for demystifying filmmaking. The inner circle is the place where you can stand on and say it can be done. Boy, is that so true. And I wish I knew who this question came from because that is true. We absolutely believe it. Well, I just have one question. I would like to know how to avoid shadow noise. I did a test where I had a person working at night in a computer. The skin was well-lit around 70 IRE, but the surrounding area was at 18 IRE. When I was editing, I noticed too much noise in the shadows. I used a 5D Mark III with an ISO at 640, shutter a 50th, and lens at a 2.8, a Canon 24-70mm L-series lens. Is this a camera issue, or what could I be doing wrong? Thanks so much. Well, Shane, I'm going to take this one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, is all over IRE values.
1: <laughs> Not.
0: Okay, so uh, let's kind of go into that for a minute, because one thing that uh, I've been doing, I don't know, I'd say for the last four to five years is really kind of diving into fill ratio. and. You know, we talk about this a lot, and a lot of the members come to me and they say, you know, Shane, I don't have 18Ks. I don't have access to all the stuff that you do. You know, it's just not relevant to me. Well, I call bullshit on that. And the reason I call bullshit on that is because it's all based on ratios. If you don't have an 18K, then you are looking at the light. You're studying the light. You are analyzing this light so you can then recreate it with whatever you have. When I was studying cinematography, I would look at Roger Deacon's work. He was my mentor. He's somebody that every movie that came out, I could not wait to go see it two, three, four times. And I know I didn't have 18Ks. I know I didn't have access to any of the lights and everything that he did. But what I saw was ratios. The downside, what his fill levels were, you know, I didn't know that there. He, Roger Deakins wasn't going, well, I exposed this at this and then my fill ratio was, was four stops down. But I do. I tell you all that. I, I, I pave the way for you to all learn sharing this knowledge. So it's all science. It's all art. So it's taking the ratios, looking at the light, and then recreating it with what you have. All right, back to the question. We're talking IRE values and we're talking noise in the shadows. So what I would say is your IRE value on the face is a little high. 70 IRE is too high for a computer screen at night. You want to be more in the 35 to 40 range at a maximum. And then your blacks want to be, I would say, at seven or eight IRE. And then you want to be able to fill into the shadows so it transitions. So it's not just one light being the computer screen. You're obviously going to get a lot of noise in the blacks because there's just no information. And it's it's striving to give me information. It want, I want information. So what I do is if if I don't have a lot and you are working off of your computer monitor, well, there's a couple ways to do it completely DIY. If you have a light, then I would pop a light into the ceiling so I could fill those shadows with about, you know, 18 IRE. And those shadow areas will then transition into the darker areas of 5 and 6 IRE, which will go true black when you actually put your lookup table on it and go into color correction. The, if you don't have a light, then, you know, if you have another computer or two, I would just put a white screen up and just angle them into the shadows or try to bounce them uh, into white cards or whatever. You actually use technology. Uh, an iPad will, will put out a ton of light in this kind of low light scenario. But the one thing with a Canon 5D Mark II, Mark Three, Mark IV, the sensor is incredibly different than than like a RED or an Alexa or a uh, Sony line. The Canon 5D line, you need to starve the sensor of light. So that's why I'm saying your IRE values might, be in the 30 to 40 range. You want to starve it with light. You want to push it down so you can then take those shadow areas, fill them in a little bit, and then push the, the black levels down into black, and you should be able to not have any noise. So I think that would be my... My best advice for you is understanding how to starve that sensor of light and and not overexpose it, let's say, because it just doesn't have the range to be able to do that. It's, it's a much better underexposing camera than it is an overexposing camera.
1: All right. That's just what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Little humor in the podcast, people. (laughs) Question number three. Hi, Shane. Big fan of the inner circle. I'm learning so much. Thank you for what you do. I'm still fairly new in lighting and need some advice on what type of light you'd shine through diffusion. I just got an 8x8 butterfly, but I own LED lights without a ton of output. What is a must-have light that provides enough output to fully take advantage of a large diffusion like that? Can I get a couple of different suggestions in a couple of different price ranges? And again, um, if you would like us to acknowledge you, we love your name. So we've had a couple of questions that are anonymous. Okay, Shane.
0: Let's talk about your 8x8 butterfly cuz that's a, a a beautiful source and let's talk about price points for you. If you have an unlimited budget, then I would go with the Airy Sky panel. S60. This light has become my go-to light if I have to punch a serious amount of light through diffusion frames or serious amounts of bounce lights into beadboard or ultra bounces. Now, that light is around $6,800, maybe $7,400 when you get all the bells and whistles. Another light that I would suggest is that is a quarter of that price which has the same output and it has much better CRI and a red phosphor. So you get the best skin tones from it is the HS2 from Cineo. This light is absolutely incredible. It uh, replicates tungsten light. Absolutely perfect. It's CRI is ridiculously good, but the biggest Selling point on this light is how incredibly lightweight it is. You can detach the ballast, so you can put them in soft boxes. Uh, It's incredibly lightweight. It doesn't weigh, I think it weighs 12 pounds with the ballast off, where a uh, sky panel weighs uh, 38 pounds, which is a, a lot of weight. So it's very versatile. Now, the HS2 has three different Well, no, five different ways to filter it. You have 3,200 Kelvin, you have 4,200 Kelvin, and you have 5,600 Kelvin. These are the shields that you put in front of the remote phosphor. Then you have blue screen and you have green screen. So those are your shields that you can put on. Now, obviously, these things are bright enough for you to put any kind of Rosco gel on that you would like, whether you want to warm it up more, whether you want to cool it down. It has... Equal the output of a airy sky panel. So for a quarter of the price, you get all that. Now, can the sky panel do all the gel colors of the spectrum of Gam, Lee, and Roscoe? Yes. Can it do lighting effects? Yes. Can it go all the way up to ten thousand Kelvin? Yes. So it has a lot of things that it can do but you really have to look at the the work that you're doing and where you want to put your money and in your investment towards something. If you're doing tons of gel colors and all these lighting effects and all this stuff, then I would say save up for the sky panel. If you're just doing interviews and you want a really – powerful light that can push through your 8x butterfly, then I would go with the Cineo HS2. The HSX was a great idea, but it's not built very well. So the HSX color and its idea of how it works and everything is incredibly intelligent. But I would say if you're going to step up, I would go with a standard 410, which is Cineo's new line. And it has has all the gels. It doesn't have lighting effects, but it has all the gel capabilities. It has all the the color temperature, all spinning with knobs. So you don't have the shields. You can create any color you want, like a sky panel. You can create any Calvin color temp that you want, but you are going up into the 4,000 range instead of the 7,200 range with a sky panel or the 2,100 range with a an HS2.
1: What about really low budget options?
0: Well, a low budget option would probably be some of the Aperture lights. So I'm a huge fan of the Light Storms. Aperture has come out with. Uh, I don't know how they were able to do it, but their CRI value is incredibly high. It's in 97 range on these, uh, which is higher than a sky panel and higher than a Cineo. It doesn't have the red phosphor to give you the absolute beautiful skin tone, but we're we're you know splitting hairs here. So I would say if you're on a very low budget uh, and you want a ton of punch, I would probably get two of these lights storms. And uh, you can get them bipolar as well. So they'll go from 2800 all the way up to 6500 or you can just get a tungsten balance, or you can just get a daylight balance. Obviously, they're cheaper in price if you want just tungsten or just daylight. I would go for the bipolar because it just gives you so much more range. And I have to say, out of the quality of the lower budget fixtures, Aperture is leading the way. They just Have such an incredible idea and thought process for the indie and low-budget filmmaker. They're making their products very lightweight. They're making out of a a very good material, so it's not cheaply made. And they're really using the resource of the China market to lower that cost for the consumer. And like I said, I, I would support these lights wholeheartedly. So you have three ranges. You have the aperture light storms to push through that diffusion. You have a Cineo HS2 that gives you the ability to push through that diffusion, and you have the big-budget Sky Panel S60 that gives you the full range of lighting effects, all the gel colors in any swatch, and the ability to go from 2,800 to 10,000 Kelvin.
1: Okay, wow. We're powering through this already on to question number four. Hi, Shane and Lydia. Greetings from Tennessee. We love Tennessee. I'm a new member of the inner circle and very happy to be a part of the group. I can't wait to see where this experience leads me. My question for you is regarding exposure and exposure correction in post. I've been studying screen grabs from some of the best cinematographers I know to improve my skills. The first thing I've noticed is the exposure on those films are much darker than any other format like TV or web. Rarely do I find pixels above 70 IRE, and if I do, they are certainly a very small percentage of the shot. The clicky term I hear is moody. So my question is, where is this workflow, and is this achieved? If I expose skin tones at 55 IRE, that doesn't give me much latitude in the grain. Do you light and expose to keep everything under 70 IRE, or is most of this look achieved in post? Thanks to you both for your dedication to this program. Mentorship has all but completely disappeared in our society. I'm grateful to have found you both. Jerry Thompson. Well, Jerry, before I turn this over to Shane to really give you the detail that you're looking for, I just want to hit the mentorship. First of all, I love your attitude. And what I love about your attitude is the fact that you're willing to just sit down and really study the craft. And I think... In our society today, I just have to make this comment for 30 seconds because I think everybody can relate. It's all about immediate, fast answers and quick solutions and no patience. And there's, you know, it's very important to study your craft. When I do anything, I mean, I spent the entire decade of my 20s studying and learning and taking the deepest dive. And it really makes you rounded as an artist. And I think it's very, very important to take the time to study your craft, so I just want to put a plug in there for for really, you know, being a little bit patient with yourself. Um, I've always had mentors in my life, and I think what mentors do is that they they really push you, but they also help you to slow down and not rush. The process. And this is very, very important because our society is just like on this hyperdrive of rushing. And when you rush, you don't quiet your mind and really get focused on what it is you want to learn, how you want your real to look, who do you really admire? Because, you know, you're just so busy racing through life. And it's really important to take a second and ask yourself these questions to find a mentor to really interact with that mentor, to, you know, introduce yourself. As Shane said, for him, it was Roger Deakins. And, you know, Shane's talked with Roger on multiple occasions. He he shares with Roger how he's impacted his life. And again, you know, taking the time and really finding your mentor and slowing yourself down a little bit to do the research and to study the craft is so important. Okay, Shane.
0: I agree with that, Lydia. And uh, so much of us want to get to, let's say, you know, A to B to C to D. Everyone wants to go to A to Z. And I was that person as well. I jumped over a lot of the alphabet on my way up the ladder. And I find that through sharing and mentoring all of you, I am rediscovering a lot of the alphabet that I jumped over. So I thank you very much for that. But studying your craft, studying people that you respect and you love their style, this is something that shapes you as an artist. So you were looking at different movies and you are saying this moody idea. Well, I know I've said in many of the, my camera tests and everything that you want to expose your skin at 50 to 60 or 45 to 55 or whatever these IRE values. Well, obviously these IRE values are based on the environment and the scene that you're shooting. If you're going for a very dark lit scene, you're not going to be keying somebody of 45 to 55 or 55 to 65 IRE. All this is a sliding scale. So what you're seeing as moody is I just, I light a scene to eye. I really don't look at any of my IRE values till I'm about ready to roll because I don't want to get, I don't want the science to go into it. I want to just look at my eye and look at the monitor without even putting false color up or, or using a waveform monitor. I don't want any of that. I just want to do it to my eye. And then when I get it to my eye, my DIT might come up to me and he might say, Hey, there's a lot of noise in the shadows. How about we slide this gamma curve a little bit, uh, so open up on the lens and I'll bring down the midtones a little bit and we'll clean up the blacks. Absolutely. Let's go for that. So it's, it's those kind of things where light it to eye, don't let the science take over. Let your eye do the creation. Let your eye do the creation and then sit there and say, okay, boy, uh, you know, specifically on the red, which is so cool, I never shoot with the red without the histogram, without the stop signs, without all of the perimeter uh, details and information. Never. And it's so funny because every time I work with a with a uh, different uh, first AC or um, somebody that's been just doing a lot of of um, you know commercial work or whatever, uh, they bring my camera formatted with nothing on it. Uh, so I have twenty four inches of beauty. Well, I'd rather look at 17 inches of beauty and have all of the surrounding information so I know that we're at 800 ISO, I know what shutter speed we're at, I know what compression values we're at, I can see what I'm overexposing, what I'm underexposing, and I don't even have to look at a false color or anything. I can already see that on the left side, my red bar is already going up on the on the readout. So I know I got some decent noise in my blacks. So how can I counteract that? I can fill in those blacks a little more, or I can uh, understand that I'll be able to spin the gamma curve, open up a little more and alter it. Now, what I was discussing where the DIT was literally building a LUT on set with me, but you don't need to do that right? You don't have to have that resource. You just need to know that if there's darkness in those blacks, just go ahead and open up your image. So overexpose a little bit. So you're going to expose those blacks a little more and those midtones, and know that when you get into post, you'll be able to bring that down and you won't have any noise.
1: Okay, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Shane, because what if I don't have your eyeball You have a very well-honed eyeball. You see things that I don't see, okay? And I always, Shane has beautiful eyes in general, and so I always give him such a hard time about this because, you know, his eyes are incredible. But they're not only incredible to look at, they're incredible with what they see from the inside out. Oh,
0: thank you, love. (laughs) That's so nice of you.
1: But uh, honestly, the eyeballs of Roger Deakins and Bob Richardson and Shane Hurlbut and, okay, are different from the rest of us. You have very special and unique eyeballs. So if our eyes aren't there yet, what do we do?
0: I would start training your eye with using a light meter. Everyone's like, why do you use a light meter, Shane? This is ridiculous. So you just got a monitor. A light meter actually trains your eye to ratios. So when you look at a scene and you really like how that looks, go up there to your light meter and see what those ratios are, what those values are, what is the fill side, what is the key side, and then what does it read in the shadow areas. And then this, you can start to train your eye. Now, if you don't have a light meter, then you can turn to false color and you can start to look at it that way and use the science of false color and waveforms to be able to train your eye. But the light meter one is the true ratio. Because when you start talking, yeah, I had a 70 IRE on her face and then I had a 40 to... 30, uh, you know, IRE on the fill. It's like, come on, that's all wonderful and all, but let's talk brass tacks here. Let's really figure it out and stops. You don't go to your lens and set an IRE value on it. You go to your lens and you set an F stop or a T stop. So let's talk light. Let's talk photometrics. Let's talk. The art of looking and training your eye. That's what I got for
1: you. Okay, love it. It's impossible to believe, but we are on the last question for this podcast already because time has gone so incredibly quickly. So here's question number five Hi, Shane and Lydia. Thank you for all you do for us filmmakers and this podcast. Well, you are welcome. The question is for both of you. I've recently started traveling much more for jobs, which is impacting my time with my spouse and our kids. How do I keep my relationship strong with my family while I am away and busy with long hours on set? All right, Shane, I'm going to dive into this puppy for a second.
0: (laughs) Why don't you give this to me first? No, just kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love this stuff. So, What I have to say is that every family is different and every family has special and unique needs. There is no answer for this question. And I know that may be very frustrating, but it's the most God's honest truth I can give you. So I'll share what works for our family, but I think that this may or may not work for yours. And what you really need to figure out is— what are the needs of your family and what does your family look like? Because if you're a couple and have no children, you're single, you travel together, you have flexibility in your job, your needs are going to be very, very different than a family of six, you know, with four kids and parents and all the juggling therein. So I think it's really understanding what the needs of your family are. And then becoming really, really great at communication because communication and listening are everything. So when you have projects, it really becomes about the way that you spend time together and really listening and being with the people that you're with. Because how many times do we see people on their phones, on their computers, half listening, half paying attention, saying, huh? You know, and, oh, yeah, sounds great. They didn't hear what you said. They weren't really with you. So the biggest piece of advice that I could give is when my kids are home, I'm present. When my son chooses to play video games, I work. But when my kids are here, especially because I have less time with them than I ever had as teenagers— Um, I'm very available. And when I'm here, I'm here. When I'm with them, I'm with them. When I'm working, I'm working. Now, you may say, well, that's all well and good for you because you can do that. But I think it's really looking at how you structure your day and how you're present with your family. So I'm just going to give you a really quick example, and then I'll turn it over to Shane. Um, here's Here's how I roll. And it took me a long time to get here, but I, I normally wake up very, very early, at least an hour before my family, and I meditate, and I start my day with meditation. I'm very religious about it because it makes me a better wife, a better mother, a better leader, a better worker, and just a better human being overall because I quiet my mind I get very focused, and it's my creative time of the day. And in order to guarantee that for myself, I go to bed earlier than everybody else in my family.
0: Yeah, like 8 p.m.
1: I do not. And I wake up earlier than everybody else in my family, and that way I'm guaranteed. I also get a lot of sleep, as Shane said, Um I'm a firm believer in sleep. I'm and so
0: she can get up at 12 to 2 and answer all the Facebook
1: questions. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> my God. Shane, he's bogarting my answer here. Um, no, I sleep is very important to me. And when I can't sleep, I meditate.
0: Uh, One of the things that I do is, like Lydia said, FaceTime. FaceTime is huge. Use technology to really benefit and, and, and see that face and see that expression. And, you know, I love... Uh, when that FaceTime kicks up and there's Lydia's beautiful face in front of me, whether she just got done with a workout or Thank just you. got out of bed, you know, she looks stunningly beautiful no matter what. So seeing that is, is always, a you know, just a, a wonderful connection. Um, the other thing is don't do any of these calls on set. I have made it a practice when I am working, I am working. Even at lunchtime, lunchtime is never my own. Uh, I, I will shove the food down my throat for 10 to 15 minutes and I'm always pulled into a schedule meeting. I'm pulled into a location scout or a tech scout. I'm pulled into something. So lunch is not an option either. So it's the time, like I wake up usually two hours before call time uh, to read the script, to go through my day, to get my head in the right space. Uh, Lydia talks about meditating. I meditate film. So I literally quiet my mind. And I think about the scenes and uh, plan A and plan B to each one of them. If the weather screws us, if there's clouds, if there's blazing sun and it's supposed to be an overcast day, I start to figure out all the different scenarios in my head. So I come in totally prepared. Within that time, if it's on the right time zone, I will call Lydia and I will talk to her before I go to work and connect with her and, and, uh, try to always be texting my kids. Teenagers, right now, when they were kids, we tried FaceTiming and that freaked them out.
1: Upset them more. It was so awful.
0: Yeah. So the <laughs> younger your children are, you know, it didn't work for my children. When they saw me, they missed me more and it created major issues.
1: So Skype was really great because what happened is it was like a tease. Shane was there, na 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 na, and then he was gone, right? Yeah. So it depends on the kids, but Skype was great when they were younger.
0: Right. When we were first younger, it was good. But then uh, as they got a little older, they became really irritated that I was not there and that I was not able to, you know, be with them. So you have to really gauge that. But now as teenagers, I FaceTime them all the time and we reconnect that way. It's also involving your kids in helping you do what you love. Um, I would have Miles help me pack my scouting kits. I would have Kira do help me do research on specific movies that I was going up for. Uh, I would always try to involve the kids in some way. We, w- we would make short little films together so they understood what the process was. And, and one of them was called Smiley Terror. It was this inflatable, smiley uh, toy that we got at a... A carnival, and we turned it into a serial killer. It killed our whole family and our grandparents.
1: And the friends. And it was so hilarious because my <laughs> dad is very involved in Shane's work. So supportive. Your
0: dad got chainsawed. Yeah, he
1: got chainsawed in this. It was so <laughs> awesome. So we had all Miles' friends coming over. We turned our house into a movie set. But I think... You know, the other point that I want to end with, and Shane is so right, is like, it's just not having rigidity. So if your family and your children know that this this is what you were born to do, this is what makes your heart sing, This is who you are. You know, you're a dad, a mom, a friend, a son, a daughter, but you're also a filmmaker, and you become depressed when you don't get to express this artistic side of yourself. They will get that part. And I think the happier that you are and the more secure that you are within yourself, the more present you can be for your family And the more fulfilled it is for everybody. So one thing that I would caution against is you never both want to be gone together. So if you're both in the film industry, you know, it's about taking turns. Somebody's career has to sacrifice. There always has to be a sacrifice somewhere. Um, Shane and I, you know, Shane was the one that traveled more. I stayed home more, depending on how young the kids were, We would go with Shane, but then when they get in school, it's very difficult unless you're willing to homeschool, which just didn't work for our kids. So they wanted their friends, their community, their soccer, their sports, their, you know, that was very, very important to them. So, again, what works for one family unit doesn't work for another. And I'm so sick and tired of people judging each other on this subject.
0: So I, I agree because I had some of my friends that talk about, why are you not taking your kids on set with you? Why are you not homeschooling them? Why aren't they traveling with you and becoming a family unit? Well, I looked at that scenario and I said, okay, I basis on two things. All families are different. That did not work for our family because I feel the home is the calming influence. If you're constantly being upheaved and uprooted uprooted and sent to another country and another state and another uh, continent, These are not the greatest experiences for a, uh, creating a safe haven, a home environment. And this is what we went with. We said, let's establish a home environment where the kids travel when they can to me and we're together as a family remotely and once in a while when they're able to travel because I wanted the grounding influence. I had looked at so many of my cousins that their dad was a professor and he jumped from university to university. He literally was in 15 states during my cousin's 17 years of being a uh, a kid in that family so imagine you're moving even 6 months uh, you don't get a grounding, you don't get friends, you don't really get to be attached to a sports team or an honor roll or a key club or uh, a photo, uh, you know, yearbook or any of these things. You don't get a grounding. And I look at their relationships and I see who they are today and there's no commitment. There's just divorce after divorce. The children are completely awry. This is what we've seen, and this is the advice that we're sharing with you.
1: And again, you, your family may be the traveling kind. You may want your, ex, you know, your kids to experience the world, and not every couple uh, can be a part together, part together, part together. Because Shane had one of his keys where the family traveled and they did it so beautifully and they made it work so well for their family. So I think it's 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 a very personal decision. It is a very intimate decision that only you know what works for your family. And I just want everybody to know in the inner circle there is no judgment there is, it's all love. So you really need to find what works for you. We're just sharing what we've chosen and um, we love whatever you want to choose for your family. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it's whatever makes you a happy human.
0: Exactly. And that's what we want to pose both sides of it all. Cause there's the gypsy. If you want to be a gypsy, then, and their family loves being a gypsy, then that is going to create a wonderful safe haven as well. But uh, what we found was this was the secret to our success. And trust me, I fell and failed many times in this process, trying to figure it out. I'm still learning. And I have to say, I think I'm getting much better at it. Uh, The Italy experience was not only creatively an incredible powerhouse for me uh, and I felt so happy and so secure with who I am as an artist. And the director and I were like brothers from other mothers. This was Uh, enabled me to be much more connected to my family and much more sharing of my time and uh, just giving a lot, cherishing them uh, much more.
1: And just in closing, um, because our time is up, but I do want to add one thing that you may not have thought of. When you're on set and you're on a feature very specifically, it never is what it is. So, part of the reason that we decided to stay home and travel to Shane when the kids had holidays and make the home base versus traveling with him is we tried traveling in the beginning and the day would go long, or he was supposed to be home for dinner and then he wasn't, or all of a sudden the director had a spontaneous meeting that he needed, or oh my gosh, you know, wardrobe needed him to approve something. And, you know, he was never able to commit, and it drove him crazy because he felt like he was constantly letting us down, and it drove us crazy because it never was what it was. And this is what happens in production, especially on features, is there is it's very different than the corporate world because there's a you have to be incredibly flexible. It's an ebb and a flow and a change, and as the weather changes, as production budget changes, as an actor comes up with something that they want to share with you for their character or whatever, and how would it look if you lit it this way? I mean, right? Or like
0: on the Italian feature, we had a uh, an actor that got deathly ill that had to literally go to the hospital and was, was admitted for 12 days of our schedule. And he was in all those 12 days. So we had to literally punt and scramble and change our whole shooting schedule based on this individual getting sick. So these curveballs come at you left and right. I mean, just when you think you have it handled, it's already an impossible schedule. The guy gets sick and makes it even more impossible to make.
1: And it's not his fault. Exactly. So anyway, I just, you know, I'd like to end on flexibility and fluidity because I think it's it's such an important. Flow, baby. Flow. Flow is so important because when you're in flow with your genius and when you are in flow, you're in your most perfect artistic creative space and you feel it because it's your buzzing. And it's a really great place to end this particular podcast because we wish for you, for your families, a wonderful holiday coming up. Enjoy your time with them. Be in flow. I know sometimes the holidays can be stressful and people argue and fight and, you know, I'm so determined to not get stressed this Thanksgiving, to just have to really appreciate every moment and just be in flow. If everything present. Yeah, be present. If everything burns you know, so what? It's like...
0: (laughs) I'm going for a deep fried turkey this year. So uh, one year it was a disaster. Uh, The other year was perfect. So I'm looking for perfection this year. But (laughs) if I burn it, hell, we'll have
1: ham. (laughs) Have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your families. Enjoy this time of year. And we will be back with you in December.
0: All right. That concludes episode 40, this podcast. Bye, y'all. Bye. If you're looking to challenge yourself, if you're looking to become a better filmmaker, as well as being mentored from 30 years of experience, go to shanesinnercircle.com.
1: Knowledge you can trust, people that care. That's exactly what happens in our loving global film community of shanesinnercircle.com.
0: Hi, I'm Shane and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And thanks for joining us for another episode of the Filmmakers Academy podcast. Take advantage of monthly virtual group mentorships, networking events, and new content released weekly by becoming a member today. Join today and get $20 off your first month by using the promo code FAPOD20. That is F-A-P-O-D-20 and join the number one resource for cinematographers, film crews, and do-it-all filmmakers.